0: Please be seated. What a joy it is to be with you, and uh, what a great weekend we had uh, sharing with Gospel Coach and uh, sharing how we can train leaders and make disciples and uh, walk in this way and drop our guitars. (laughs) El Cabong. (laughs) Yeah, I got to retune it, yeah, for sure. Uh, That's fun how to mend our ways and how to work along with others and helping them to show how to walk in this way with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to carry on that theme today as we look at what would be the idea of what I call shepherd discipleship. Oh, We've heard about discipleship, and I want us to focus in on shepherd discipleship and look at the words of Jesus and see what He said and see how He modeled shepherding of others. It's really not in vogue to to shepherd anything. Um, really you want to kind of push against that. And churches, large churches and very influential churches are actually speaking out against shepherding and using the terminology of shepherding and its leading and managing and directing and CEOing and, you know, all of the things except what the Scriptures have called us to, and that is to pour ourselves into shepherd the flock of God that's among us. And that's not just for pastors. That's for all of us. He's called all of us to engage in His flock. All throughout the Old Testament, particularly in Ezekiel and other passages all throughout, it's called God's flock. This is God's flock and we're entrusted with God's flock and He's calling out for shepherds to shepherd God's flock. It's not the church's flock. certainly not the pastor's flock, but it's God's flock. And so we get to engage like Christ after His model for us, in shepherding and caring for other people it's a great privilege and it's a great honor and we get to embody and image who Christ is to other people and we can only do that not like a CEO but like a shepherd he is that good shepherd the overseer of our souls and we get to engage in that aspect with other people so let's take a look at some passages of scripture and I read it beginning in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse number 1. Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics coats. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whatever they do not excuse me, wherever they do not receive you, when you uh, leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now verse ten is a follow up, so they're they're seeing Jesus, they're watching him preach and proclaim and heal and minister, and now Jesus sends them these twelve on their own. So go on your own. And he stands back. And they return in verse 10 and it says, And on their return the apostles told him all that they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Now Jesus sends out his people with his compassion to the scattered sheep. He sends us to those lost sheep. Now prior to this sending out of the twelve, in the other parallel passages that we read... Uh, particularly in Matthew chapter 9. Now we see that he sends them out and he looks out at the people and he sees them as as sheep without a shepherd. And it says, And Jesus had compassion on them. And he called and he said, Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his field. So first of all, Jesus saw the needs of others around them. He saw the lost sheep. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He saw them as being what he called harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. And what do we see when we see others around us? We see people that irritate us. We see people that confuse us. We see people that make us angry. But Jesus saw the sheep without a shepherd. And he saw them as helpless and harassed. He didn't see them as perpetrators as people who are pains on society, as people who would come into our life and cause trouble. He saw them as people who needed a shepherd. And so what he did, he called, he said, call to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out. That word is to thrust out. It is to push out. Now it's Lord, send workers. Send workers because there's lost sheep. There are those who are helpless. There are those who are harassed. They're like sheep without a shepherd, and so we need more shepherds in their life, and we need to pour into their lives and help them so they're not harassed, so that they're not helpless, but they are in fact cared for and shepherded. Now, sheep. (laughs) Sheep are dumb, dirty, and defenseless. And 300 times in Scripture, we as Christians are called sheep. Doesn't that encourage you? I mean, they're they're dumb. They will do things that you don't normally do. They will follow one another. Uh, In Turkey, uh, in Istanbul, Turkey, there was a group of sheep that were gathered together and the shepherd was in the middle thinking everything was fine. All of a sudden, one of the sheep went off the edge of the cliff and down to its death. But not only one, but 1,500 sheep followed that one sheep off the cliff to its death, but not all of them died. That's the good news, because as the pile became larger and fluffier, some of them survived. (laughs) But sheep are dumb, and they'll just follow people. They're dirty. It's constant that a shepherd will need to take a sheep and check out what's going on. Is there sores? Is there problems in there? Is there any kind of insects? What do we have to do? We have to take care of the sheep. We shear them and then use that wool for clothing and other means, and so you, you, they're they're dumb, they're dirty, and they're defenseless. I mean, how many of you have seen a sheep and went, "Huh? Oh, I'm scared." No, you want to hold it. You you want to hold it. Now I travel internationally quite often, and one of the things that disturbs me on the little list is you have to sign and write and do this thing, and and I go through kind of a digital security thing, and it asks you these questions, and then it says, "Are you sure?" And I'm going like, I Yes, I'm sure, and you have to push yes, continue. Are you really sure? Yes, I'm really sure to do this. And one of the questions they ask you is, have you touched any livestock? And I'm going to like, well, I don't know. But if I saw a sheep, like I did in England, there were sheep everywhere. I mean, they're just run around, and they're funny looking. They're different than our sheep here, and they're funny. Well, so are English people. But anyway, they. <laughs> The sheep were fun and I wanted to grab and hold one. I'm glad I didn't because I have to say I touched a sheep. I don't know what problem that would cause in a kind of a, uh, I don't know if that's where the the source of Ebola. I don't know what takes place, but they're dumb. They're dirty. They're defenseless. You don't get afraid of sheep. I mean, they have hooves. They step on you. They're little. They're not going to hurt anything. They don't have any fangs. They don't have any like Spikes on their back, or they can't spit at you and cause poison, and there's nothing they can do. You know, the only defense that sheep have is to huddle together, to come together as a flock. And when they do, they protect each other. And 300 times in scripture, we're called sheep. What is our defense? It's to huddle together. What is our vulnerability? It's to be separated. And that's where the wolf will look. And they'll find one that's separated and go after it because it can't defend itself. That's why they're helpless, Jesus said, because they need a shepherd. And that shepherd keeps them together in the flock. And when they're together in the flock, they're secure. Jesus sends us with His compassion It says, when Jesus saw the helpless harassed sheep, they were like sheep without a shepherd. He said he was moved with compassion. Do you realize that Christianity is the only religion that really emphasizes this aspect of compassion? The others, it's keep the rules, keep up to this, did you do this, then you need to do this in order to cover this sin that you've done. And Jesus looks out and says, no, it's it's about compassion. And all through the Scripture it speaks of Jesus' compassion for the lost, for the dying, for the sheep, for other people, and this poured out this compassion this this inner inner feeling for others is poured out, and we have to see others not as look at them, but as this compassionate savior given feeling that we have emotion that doesn't cause us to go oh. Look at them, poor things. Bless their heart. doesn't look at them and just stand there, but says, rather, let's do something about it. And Jesus said, call out to the Lord of the harvest that He would thrust out workers into His field so that these sh- there can be more people shepherded. And then Jesus immediately follows with the sending of His twelve and then the sending of the seventy-two. He calls them out and says, go out and go do this. Go follow them and go out with this kind of compassion. We're called to do this. And Jesus is sending us. Isn't that joyful? That Jesus can send us to do His work with His compassion and His Spirit that's poured out through us. We get to be sent out. And He's calling us to do that. Will you answer that call? He felt pity. He's responded and he sent. So the Gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Being sent from God to helpless mankind to provide the atonement, the covering, the righteousness that we could not gain on our own. And He offers it to us freely, without cost. No good works that we do add to it. No political view. No ethnicity adds to this. He says it's for all. And He gives it to us. And Jesus sent then the apostles to proclaim that good news. And He's sending us to proclaim that good news to helpless harassed sheep without a shepherd. Will we be that shepherd in people's lives? Well, in Luke chapter 10, He then follows up with ascending of the 72 and he said this in verse 2, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send labors into His harvest. We not only need to, to ask the Lord, Bring us labors, but to help make labors from among us. And if you begin to pray that, Lord, make make labors from among us, you might just say, "And Lord, what if that's me? See, God uses anyone. God can use anyone in this world to do His work. He gifts us, He enables us, He equips us, and He thrusts us out and calls us to go and shepherd His people. These are His flock, and they're not ours. They're His, and we're entrusted to people in our lives. When Jesus returned, when they returned back to Jesus, He debriefed them, and, and they said, the 72 returned, and in verse number 17 And 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you power over the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, so he stops and he's going to give further instruction to this. Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Do not rejoice that your ministry has been effective. Do not rejoice in what you are able to do in my name. Remember, it's my name that you are able to do this, not in your own name or your own power. Don't rejoice in the things that are taking place physically. Rejoice, rather, that your names are written in the book of life. Rejoice that the gospel is working. Rejoice that the gospel is effective. Rejoice that the gospel is eternal. That it gives to us this new life, and we rest in the fact that we are His. And when we're His, then we get to go do. We don't do ministry. We are ministry. And we act out who we are. We are His ministers, His caretakers, His shepherds that are to see the lost sheep, the harassed, helpless sheep without a shepherd. And we're to find ourselves and attach ourselves to those and show them the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We don't draw them to ourselves; We draw them and point them to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's the good news because we don't have to be perfect, but he is. We don't have to be good, but he is. We don't have to have all truth, but he does. We don't have to know actually the way to get there, but he does. And we follow him and we call others to go follow him. And we have to do that together. We are 300 times in scripture called sheep who will scatter Throughout the Old Testament, the word is used over and over where God said, My scattered sheep, My scattered sheep. I need shepherds to pull those scattered sheep together because those scattered sheep will become food for the ravenous wolves. And people of this flock and people in our community and people that God has entrusted to us will become food for ravenous wolves for other people Even their own sin. Even their own sin and their own destruction because they have no shepherd. Well, Maybe you've been given that opportunity and that right. So why do we do this? We do this because we're Christ's representatives to sheep that are without a shepherd and we get to follow Him. And Jesus modeled this concept of what it would take to begin to shape people's lives. You see, you can't really shape people's lives until you know who they are. I mean, I'm coming here as a, as a guest invited, and, and it's coming with um, Seth saying, go ahead and listen to this person. It's okay. But you really shouldn't because you don't know me. And I don't know what to communicate to you because I don't know you fully. But I come here with a message from Jesus, and it's this, John 10, starting verse 4. Jesus said, When He has brought out all of His own, He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Verse 5, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from Him. They do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 27, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. And so Jesus is saying, In order for a followership, in order to draw people, there has to be a knowledge of them. And as my understanding, as I look across all of North America, and I see people and I see churches and I see individuals gathering together, they would rather teach a class to strangers than to know one person intimately. And yet Jesus is saying, to follow me, you need to know me. I need to know you. A stranger they will not follow. But my voice they will follow. For my sheep know my voice. In order for us to effectively lead others, we have to get out of our comfort zone. We have to, And this is tough for some people. I tell you, it's tough for me. It's tough for me. I have to get out of my comfort zone, out of and I have to know people, and I have to let them know me. In order to lead effectively, we have to make ourselves vulnerable to others. And he said, well, I've been hurt before. And the more we get hurt, the more we withdraw. And the more we withdraw, the more we begin to hide. and We look away. I think the church is full of spiritual orphans. Orphans are without an identity or an attachment or connection to another family. And we have spiritual orphans who come in and among us who don't have anybody to help bring them to maturity, to gather them in, to pull them in, to shepherd their hearts and souls and lives. So we have spiritual orphans. And people disappear. We don't know that they're gone because we haven't known them. And we don't know they're gone, and we don't really care if they're gone because we can just replace them. And we put pressure on them when we find out to return. He said, why should I return? You don't even know me. You haven't got to know me. You haven't tried to know me. Yet Christ said, I know you. And you know me. And they follow me. He's calling us to know to shepherd Martin Luther, who was kind of a brash preacher in the 1500s, began the Reformation, nailed on the Wittenberg door the 95 theses. Like 95? Like 95. That doesn't make for a good blog to have 95 points. But he had nowhere else to go, so the public forum, he nailed it to the Wittenberg door. And this was this brash pastor who understood that it's the faith in God that saves no longer, is that mankind works. But Martin Luther said this, I often suffer from severe trials and sorrows. This is Martin Luther confessing that he himself suffers from severe trials and suffers. At such time I seek the fellowship of men, for the humblest attendant has often comfort me. So it doesn't take any brilliant person to come in my life. It's anyone who can care for my needs. They have encouraged me. I say, I don't I don't know a lot. I can't do a lot. Are you a person? I mean you could come alongside another and comfort them. He goes on to say, A man does not have, and he's speaking of man as in mankind. Mankind doesn't have control of themselves when he's downcast and alone. Even if they are well equipped and have a knowledge of the Scriptures. Say, I know God's Word and I know the Gospel. Sure, but do you know anybody else? You need others to come alongside you and come together to bring an attendant. He said it is not for nothing that Christ gathers His church around the Word and sacraments and is unwilling to let those be hidden in a corner. Away with... This is where he becomes brash. (laughs) Away with monks and hermits. They are an invention of Satan, he said. (laughs) It's just just like a good tweet right there. What he means is away with people who want to seclude themselves and hide out and just... I don't know what they do—navel gazing or something. I don't know, but they're they're away, hiding, and they're just thinking on God. Away with them! That's an invention of Satan. For he says this: Accordingly, a solitary life should be avoided as much as possible. What? I thought it was quiet time. I thought it was silence and seclusion and solitude. And yeah, okay, not forever. Like those are. It's like, you should eat, but not constantly. <laughs> and we should get solitude, but not constantly. <clears throat> Away with it. It's not the way. We're gathered together. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Chad. He's a pastor. And Pastor Chad, his wife was going through a terrible scenario. I mean, he had to call the police on his wife because she, was, she went crazy. And what else was he going to do? She's threatening the kids and they're in danger and he can't control her and he took her in a truck to try to settle her down and she's got the window down and she's yelling at people out I mean this is it sounds funny uh um, well maybe not but anyway it it it, it just it's this is what Chad was going through so he had to call the police and they took his wife away and took her to an institution This was Chad Pastor why do you call the police on your wife And then just watch her be taken away. Chad was confused. Chad was depressed. Chad jumped in his truck. Took his kids, young kids over to his mom's house. And he headed down the highway in his truck. And he got in the opposite lane when he saw a semi coming. And he was going to take his own life. He couldn't take it that he himself was the shame and his wife had to, he had to call the police on his wife and what kind of husband was he and what kind of leader was he and what kind of pastor was he. And he just went totally, he lost all sense of where he was and what he was doing, except he said, there's a semi and he pulled over into that lane and was going to commit suicide by running headlong into that semi and then he remembered he said what will my brothers in christ his fellow pastors what will my brothers in christ think of this what will they say of me and he quickly pulled over got back in his right lane as the semi truck honked its horn and on he pulled over to the side of the road and he said lord please please help And he went home, and he got on what was called The City. It's an online forum for these pastors, all these brothers that he had talked about. And he wrote, and he said, Brothers, please pray for me. Here's what took place. I just called the police. My wife's an institution. I almost took my own life. I'm desperate. Send. And Chad said he sat next to his computer, and he waited. And he didn't wait long before the brothers came on, his fellow pastors, all across the country. And they began, ding, ding, ding. Here come these messages back. Praying for you, love you, hang in there. Calls came, I'm coming. I will be there. I'm jumping on the next plane. I'll be there for you. Texts, all this taking place. Here's a pastor, a shepherd himself who at this point in his life needed shepherded. Had he been alone and secluded and isolated and silence and solitude was his answer, he would have been dead. But he said, I have others around me who love me, who care for me, who can shepherd me, and I need that right now. And it saved his life. Here's the end of that story with his wife. She had some kind of chemical imbalance that was taking place perfectly, well-functioning, high-functioning woman who was respected in society, all of a sudden switch, a chemical imbalance, took her mind, and she wasn't able to function. And they medically took care of it, and she's doing wonderful. Had he taken his own life, his wife could have been saved and was, but it would have devastated her and the kids forever that community. He was a leader in the community. Here was a helpless harassed sheep who almost was lost but he remembered I have other shepherds around me who can care for me. I'm going to put myself out there and be vulnerable. And some of you are hurting silently and you're in pain and nobody knows it. I've been there. You've been there. Maybe you're there now and God is calling us. Don't. Isolate yourself. Let others care for you. And be that person yourself to others. Even in your own pain and suffering, even what you're going through, you're making yourself known and you're knowing others and you're caring for others. That's what He's called us to do. To be shepherd disciples in our life. Why we do it? It's because we're representatives of Christ to the lost shepherds. There's lost sheep without a shepherd. How we do that is we begin to make a commitment and we begin to know other people and we, we invest our life even at the expense of our own life so for the good of others. See, what amazes me is as little kids, this it struck me the other day, it amazes me as little kids, what do we want to be? Firemen, police, soldiers, princess. People who make a difference. Nurses. People who could make a difference in people's lives. As little kids, that's what we want to be. We dream about We dress up like that. Maybe at, at Halloween that's coming up. We, we think about all these things, and we go, like, that's what I want to be. And then we get older, and it goes down and down and down until we see survival, and we go, okay, self-preservation. What happened to that adventure that says, I want to put my life at risk for the good of others? even if that means I set aside my life, this is a way you can do that. You set aside your time, your TV time, your hobby time, your rest time, your, your money, your talents. You set aside. You say, I am going to give my life for the good of others. I'm going to give it to the good of others. And I'm going to risk everything for the glory of God. It's for the good of others and the glory of God we give our lives. We become, as it says in Scripture, a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world say, you need to make more. You need to live in bigger. You need to drive better. You need to have downtime. You need to have vacation time. You need to go to the Bahamas. You need to go do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God who Himself sent His Son as a living sacrifice and gave His life to us, holy completely, to shepherd us as lost sheep of the house of Israel to His lost and scattered sheep as helpless harassed sheep. He gave Himself to us and he's saying, I'm the model. Go and do likewise. I'm the model, go do likewise. And we get to embody this Christ. We get to embody him who he is. Matthew eleven, twenty eight says, Come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. A shepherd, shepherd disciple maker is one who embodies Christ not in just repeating what he said but in doing what he did in the way that he did it. And gentleness is who Christ is. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, great preacher of old, said this, meekness is a great part of the Christian spirit. Jonathan Edwards, uh, began the Reformation, spoke of gentleness as a spirit that is... Breathed. It's just as normal and natural as if you're breathing. And it's that, that gentleness of spirit. Martin Luther, that brash pastor, said this Gentleness loses nothing, risks little, gains everything. Martin Luther? Often we applaud the fierce, the aggressive, the powerful. We mock the gentle, but gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit in our life. And Edwards said that the Christian spirit is not true when it's ruled by passionate, hasty expression, by bitter, exasperated, uh, excuse me, exasperated countenance or violent words. Edwards believed that the Christian spirit is peaceable in both words and the behavior. And so shepherd discipleship gets to embody not only why we do it, because we're going to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We're going to those who are helpless and harassed. We're going to those who need a shepherd. And what we do is we embody Christ. We begin to know others intimately. And we let ourselves be known. We make ourselves vulnerable. We gather together in knowledge and trust. We follow after the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And what we do is we embody Him. And so when we're serving others, we're showing them what the Savior looks like. See, because we can't be gentle on our own. We need a gentle shepherd who leads us. And we need the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness, patience. We need that and we show others what this would look like and we begin to shepherd others and gather others around us to go and follow Jesus Christ. Psalm 23 is one of those beautiful passages of all. Don't, let's not show it yet. But David Pallison, who's a Christian counselor, he wrote the anti Psalm. The anti Psalm? The anti Psalm 23. Against Psalm 23. Opposite of what Psalm 23. He wrote this, and then I want you to, read, uh, to listen to it, and then I want us to read Psalm 23. Pallison said this. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, stuck. I can't fix myself any longer. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. But life is confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility. I fear the big hurt and I fear the final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. I spend my life protecting myself. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone. Facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me. Sometimes it's sickening even to me. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm always left wanting and empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling, and a void? Hell is other people. Hell is also myself. Hell is. Is life? You encouraged? I'll tell you why you're not. Some of that resonates with you. Maybe a lot of it resonates with you. And by the way, all of us have felt that. So don't go like, "Oh, I'm terrible." I'm the anti-Psalm. You can call someone that. You're the anti-Psalm. All of us have felt that. Why? Because we need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. You and I need a shepherd. And we are helpless, harassed, lost, scattered, vulnerable. We are meat for the ravenous wolves without a shepherd. And so the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. There's only one. The Lord is my shepherd. He is over me. He controls me. He is sovereign. He is worthy. The Lord is my shepherd. Currently, not was, not will be, but right now, He is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's your shepherd. And your shepherd. He is my shepherd. He cares for me personally. He knows me personally. He knows where I wrestle and where I'm struggling. The Lord is my My shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd who cares for me and loves me and guides me and protects me and feeds me. He is my shepherd and because He is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and have feelings of the anti-psalm, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you taste the difference? And you feel that difference? It's like I'm on my own. I'm alone. I'm dark. Life is hell. Life is eternal. Life is cared for by another. Life is personally ministered to. Life is governed by the Lord, the sovereign God. And Though days are dark, And doesn't say we bypass the shadow of death or the valley of death or we don't go under it in depression and we don't go over it by positive thinking. But it says we go through it, but we don't go through it alone. Some of you are facing some trials, some trouble, some bad circumstances. But we don't go through it alone. For you are with me and you never leave me. So discipleship is skillfully shepherding others with a purpose to lead them to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We do this because we want to lead others, those scattered sheep, to the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. We do this as a shepherd who knows others. And we do it to model the good shepherd and to show others what this would look like. Some of you are being called. Being called to be that shepherd discipler in someone's life. Will you answer that call? Will you respond? Because you don't have to be perfect. Believe me, you don't have to be perfect. He's the perfect one. You don't have to be uber intelligent. You have to be slightly intelligent. You don't have to be intelligent at all. You need to know who is the way, the truth, and the life. And you need to know that we have to go through Him to get to God. He's calling you, and others are waiting, and others are scattered. And we get to embody Jesus Christ in this life. Peter left and forsake. He three times denied Christ, and Christ came to him. when Peter was out fishing after Jesus had had been uh, raised from the dead. And he walks out to Peter, and he calls Peter, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He asked him a second time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Tend my lambs. He asked him a third time, said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was frustrated now and said, well, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. The way Jesus told Peter to show love to Jesus was to care for God's sheep. To love them, to tend them, to feed them. And He's calling us to embody Christ and this picture of Peter to a a world that needs shepherds like you need a shepherd. Will you answer that call? Father, thank you for your word, for your life, for your shepherding care of us. May we answer that call now and shepherd others. We're not worthy. No, you are. We're not full of knowledge, but you are. We're weak, but you're powerful. Well, vulnerable, but You're invincible. And so, Lord, may may we answer that call and may we go and be sent out, thrust out into this field to care for those sheep without a shepherd. May we do it for Your glory, not ours. May we do it for Your kingdom and not ours. And may we do it in love to You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.